This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show, the Tuesday edition of the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or life questions or anything and everything else going on in this really strange time that we're living through right now. All you have to do is call us, 210-340-9585. That's 340 340- 9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call us toll free at uh, 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, it's 630-5757. You can email us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number for your calls, one more time, is 340-9585. I just had some kids call me to do the prayer. You know, they're not here to pray in person like they usually are during the school year. And um, uh, they called to pray. And the, the girl who prayed, bless her heart, she said, Lord, I thank you that we still at least get to keep doing the radio show and people are able to hear. And that's exactly how I feel. Hope you are blessed by it as well. This is truly a labor of love. And, uh, you know, the more normal we can keep things, the better off it is for all of us. Let me start with a question while we await your phone calls. This question came in from Debbie via our email account. Um, Good morning, Pastor Ron. I love listening to you on the radio and the Calvary website. Well, thank you, Debbie. Uh, I was talking to a man over the weekend, and believe me when I say that you need to look at who you're talking to. Anyway, he was telling me about um, the newer apparitions of Mary and how she said there's going to be a World War III. I asked him, where did the rapture come in? Needless to say, he didn't know. Now, here's the thing. He told me how we all need to wash ourselves with salt water to cleanse ourselves from the people who are jealous of us and hate us. And he does practice the Santa Maria stuff, which is which really to me is witchcraft. It is, by the way. Uh, my question is, God talks about washing ourselves in the Sea of Galilee, and that sea is salt water because of the basic use of witchcraft in this man's life. Isn't that still divination? Much love and hugs and kisses to everyone at Calvary Chapel from my heart to all of yours. Um, Debbie, a couple of things. When you're talking to somebody who's this far off, um, nothing that they have to say has any value at all. Uh, apparitions from Mary. We know that's nonsense. It's silliness. Um, you know, the, the devil himself masquerades as an angel of light. He is very, very uh, clever, very subtle and deceitful. Um, so all of this doesn't matter uh, at all. Um, with regard to the Sea of Galilee, it's not salt water at all. It's a freshwater sea. Uh, that's why the fishing industry thrives there. And it's not something that we have to worry about. Um, any of this kind of stuff is like the Santa Maria stuff, is divination. It's like witchcraft. God says that that, that is a sin that we need to repent of. Um, but um, I, I also don't recall anywhere uh, where the Bible talks about washing ourselves in the Sea of Galilee. So um, I think this the whole conversation that this guy had with you, Debbie, 
uh, has no value at all. There's no basis in truth. And don't worry about it at all. But remember, the Sea of Galilee is a fresh water sea. It's not really even a sea. It's more of a lake. Um, uh, but the Dead Sea, now that is, the, 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 the salt content in the Dead Sea is enormous. Uh, you can actually lay in the Dead Sea and float there on top of the water uh, all day. That's how much salt content there is. But uh, not so with the Sea of Galilee. If you try to float there, you'd fall to the bottom. Uh, it is a beautiful, fresh water lake. Thanks for the question, Debbie. I appreciate it very, very much. Uh, here is a question from Dennis. I never know how to answer this kind of question. Dennis says, Pastor Ron, what do you think of the two or three greatest challenges to the church today? Um, Dennis, I think because of the situation that we are in uh, with this um, uh, self-quarantining and, and the social distancing and all that thing, I think the biggest, the single biggest challenge for the church, it's actually easier to, to, for me to answer this now than normally, um, but but the biggest challenge is for us to be ready for when we come back. I mentioned this in the program either yesterday or Friday. I can't remember. But um, I think the biggest challenge for us is to come back and not treat things as though uh, this quarantine virus situation never happened. I don't think we can afford to come back into the church and be comfortable and and casual um, even taking for granted the opportunity that we have to be here. Uh, I think we've got to really, really stay focused on the fact that these are the last days. People call me nuts for saying that, but the truth is uh, we are in the last days. Jesus is coming and he could come at any moment. And we who are believers need two things. We need personally to be ready. Secondly, what we need is to make sure that we can influence unbelievers to be ready as well. And the way we do that is to really take seriously the mission that Jesus has given us. And if we don't come back to church, I want to be careful with how I phrase this. If we don't come back to church with a seriousness about the mission that God has given us, I think that will be sort of the death knell for the American church. We have an opportunity Acts chapter 17 says that God has put us where we are at the exact time that we're here to make it easier to find God for us, certainly, and his will for our life, but also for others. That means he has people, divine appointments he wants us to share uh, this glorious message of grace with. But if we don't take advantage of that, if we come back to church and fall back into the same old... um, patterns of behavior, the same old habits, the same lukewarmness that I personally think uh, is manifest in so much of the church, I think we're going to miss an opportunity and God will do this work using someone else and he'll do it someplace else. Make no mistake, in these last days, God wants to save people. He wants to use us to do it. And we've got to be ready. We've got to be willing to take a stand with him and for him not worrying about what people think. We can't worry about whether or not people like us, whether they're comfortable around us. We can't worry about whether or not we're offending people with our message. What we've got to do is come back to church so on fire, so passionate, that everybody can see that we really do live our lives as though Jesus is coming back. And Dennis, I think Jesus is coming back. Now, I think that has changed dramatically with this current um, quarantine situation that we're going through, not just here in the United States, but in the world. Uh, I'll mention a couple of others that I think are important. I think um, we have got to be convinced as a church that the Word of God is really and literally the Word of God. Stop making apologies for it. Stop listening to people's questions intended to put us on the defensive and simply declare it. Paul says that the gospel of God is the salvation, is the power of salvation. And if that's the case, we got to let it loose. So I think those are the two biggest things. Again, the first one is new. 
I think if I would mention one more, I would say that we've got to commit ourselves to the pursuit of personal holiness. The Bible says without holiness no one will see the Lord. Dennis, if we're going to to, to make an, uh, an impact on this world in these last days, then we've got to be serious about personal holiness. So I hope that answers your question, Dennis. I just don't want people to come back to church and take it for granted. I, I, I you know, I, I told you yesterday in the program that my personal reading right now is in the book of Revelation. And those um, harsh, direct words to the church at Laodicea where Jesus says I wish you were hot or cold just not lukewarm but you're lukewarm and he said I'm going to spit you out of my mouth and I'm, I'm, I'm fearful for the church in the west especially here in the United States I'm fearful that we're going to find ourselves back in that same lukewarm position that we were in before Jesus got here. We can all, Dennis, pray for revival. We need to pray for one final move of God's Spirit before we hear that trumpet call of God. Here is a question for Cynthia. She said, I want to know if forgiveness was available for Judas. Was it even possible that he could have been forgiven? Um, Cynthia, Jesus gave Judas many, many opportunities to be forgiven. Betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss in the upper room before that? He said, one of you this very night is going to betray me. Judas could have said, I'm so sorry, but he didn't. So no forgiveness was not possible apart from Judas repenting of his sin and asking for it. Now, here's the problem we have, Cynthia. We look at it from the, the perspective of, of Earth. Um, God, of course, lives outside of time and space, and he knows the end from the beginning. So when um, Jesus, Jesus said that Judas was the son of perdition, doomed to destruction from before the foundations of the Earth, it wasn't Jesus causing Judas to do this terrible thing. It was Jesus reporting on the fact that he knew Judas was. And so God knew all along from the time he chose Judas. I have another question that I'll, I'll take right now. Why did Jesus choose Judas if he knew he was going to betray him? Well, it's because Jesus did everything his father told him to do. And his father made the selection of Judas knowing that he was the betrayer, knowing that he was the one who would fulfill prophecy. Again, I want to emphasize uh, to everybody out there that Jesus didn't cause, God the Father didn't cause Judas to betray him. He just knew that he was going to do it. And so for those reasons, forgiveness was not possible. Uh, it is also true that um, nobody in the history of the world has ever been so close to Jesus and had more opportunities to see who he was and change their mind than Judas, and yet he refused to do it. Now let me mention one other thing about Judas. Judas had no idea he was going to be the betrayer. At the beginning, Judas was like everybody else. He really, really, really believed. Now that doesn't mean he had saving faith and lost it. It just means that God always knew his heart. And Judas saw miracles up close and personally like no one who's ever lived. Judas actually did miracles when Jesus sent his disciples out two by two. Judas was given authority over devils. Judas was given the power to heal people. All in Jesus' name. Judas saw Jesus walk on water. Judas was in the boat when the storm in the lake was so severe that the disciples thought they were going to die and Jesus is simply at peace, be still. And he watched the ocean, the, the, the sea, the lake. He watched it stop and be instantly calm and even the wind died down. 
all of that to say Judas is without excuse almost as though no one who had ever lived before. And Judas really looked like a real believer. Peter and John both write about the perplexity that they had to deal with because of Judas's betrayal. How could we not know? And it changed their lives. So forgiveness was possible for anybody, including Judas, who would have asked for it. God, however, knew that he wasn't going to ask for it. 340-9585, the phones during this quarantine season have been really, really quiet. Here is our next question. It's from Juan. His name just made me think of Pastor Juan. I miss him. Um, He says, what is meant by the term progressive Christianity? Juan, um, like speaking about liberal politics, they, they, they call themselves the progressives. It's really not progressive at all. Progressive Christianity is liberal Christianity, not politically liberal, but theologically and doctrinally liberal. liberal. In other words, they don't count the Word of God as being the Word of God. Uh, they don't value the Word of God for what it is. Um, they simply dismiss the parts of it they don't like. It is progressive Christians who who claim to be saved and yet will will um, embrace homosexual lifestyles. Uh, it's progressive um, uh, so-called Christians that, that just change the Bible to say what they want it to say. It's progressive Christianity that has embraced things like universalism. Everybody's going to eventually get there. And God doesn't really care about our sins so much. He just wants us to be happy kind of thing. And, and while they call themselves progressives, they are regressive to be sure. So, Juan, that's what's meant by progressive Christianity. Thank you for the question. Uh, 340-9585 let's go to Jim on line one thanks for calling Jim you're on the air thanks Pastor Ron for taking my call Um, I was talking to a young believer yesterday and uh, talking about desiring to have what Paul or what David prayed for in Psalm 86 11 and it says unite my heart to fear your name and he's in a residential treatment center, Christian-based for people with substance problems. And he said, there's days like where I'm just on this program and I want to do what they asked me to do and go for it. And there's like three seconds later, I can be like, I want to get out of here. Like, and I, yeah. I was just kind of troubled. I, di- I didn't know really what to say. I, you know, your experience is that of many. And, you know, we talked about Paul in Romans 7, you know, and mentioned that as well. But he wanted some help to be more consistent in how his heart responded to God's call for obedience. Yeah. Jim, you really need to pray for your friend. Now, I'm going to make a couple of statements that might offend some people, but I'm going to to do it with the purest of hearts here. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the drug rehab ministries because they are so legalistic. Um, You know, if if your friend uh, wants the fear of God in his heart, it's not the kind of fear that men try to install. God's going to get you if you do this, or you're going to go to hell if you do this. It's God's kindness that leads to repentance. And and my prayer for your friend would be, um, um, Lord, show him the goodness of your heart. Show him the freedom that he has from sin, the freedom that's already been won at the cross of Christ. And, and you know, Jim, one of the problems that we have with, with these kind of ministries is that it's always like you're looking over your shoulder to see if Jesus is going to catch you doing something wrong. And instead of walking in the freedom and the joy of the Lord, you're always walking in the dread of the Lord. And it's very different from walking in the fear of the Lord. So um, uh, I understand your friend saying, uh, I want to do all this, Lord. Give me the fear of God in my heart. And then moments later saying, I want to get out of this place. Uh, These places misrepresent the Lord. Um, You know, drug rehab is difficult. Um, Church bodies need to be available to people like this. And I just haven't seen... I I want to rephrase this carefully. I've seen almost no 
real lasting fruit that comes from these drug rehab ministries that that are, are always oppressive and always legalistic and always um, threatening you with, with what God is going to do. So um, uh, pray for your friend to enjoy the freedom. Pray that he has a real encounter with Jesus, not a, not a group encounter where, well, everybody else is doing it and I'm in trouble and I'm desperate, so okay, but a real encounter with a living, loving God of the universe. Because the only thing that's really going to help this man long term is God storming that citadel of his heart and taking over. And when God does that, he does it with love. He doesn't do it with fear. Now, a healthy filial fear of God is important in all of our lives. But it's certainly not the kind of fear that these drug rehab ministries engender. You know, we've got people, and you see them all the time as well, Jim, from uh, drug rehab ministries. You'll see them on the streets. They'll be soliciting money. They're out all day trying to solicit money for the ministries. And then they go in, and they have a very, very structured lifestyle. And while structure is important for some of these people, um, that's not the kind of structure that, that makes life changes. So pray for him a lot. Share with him when you get the opportunity about the love of Christ and the freedom from sin. Have him read Romans 5, 6, 7, and then 8 over and over and over. And then trust that the Holy Spirit is going to grab his heart. Jim, thank you very, very much for that. I appreciate the call. And I, too, will be praying for your friend. Let's go to line two. Mike calling from San Antonio. Mike, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I've got two questions um, and then a prayer request. Uh, okay. the, the first question, you were talking about uh, Judas and, um, you know, what was going through his mind and everything. And uh, I don't remember where I heard it, but uh, I heard it from somewhere I thought was reputable at the time. Uh, that, that what Judas was trying to do by betraying Jesus into the, the hands of the, the leaders was to kind of force his hand to be that militant uh, revolutionary that that everybody else kind of was was intent upon him being. And uh, I think somewhere in the Gospels it says that the people intended to make Jesus king by force. And uh, this person was saying that Judith may have been trying to do that, like kind of force Jesus into a position where he would have to you know, strike the the leaders down and be that military uh, political figure. Um, okay. How how accurate do you think that is? And my second question is about my son. Um, he's six years old and he has autism, and his major uh, deficiency when it comes to autism. There's several facets to it. Um, his his end of it is in speech and communication and um, you know he's, he's six now and he communicates a little bit basically at or below the level of, of my three year old daughter and I'm kind of wondering you know if he gets to age 30 or 40 and we still can't clearly communicate the gospel to him is how does God judge a heart like that? Okay. You know, if, if my son never hears the gospel clearly or like understands it because we can't communicate it to him, you know, how how does God judge somebody like that? Okay. And then uh, What's your I have a prayer request for uh, a lady at my church named Sarah, who has uh, she's got the coronavirus right now. And, Oh, uh, which okay. everybody does pray for Okay. And can I, can I ask just for person? this is just for my personal prayer, Mike. Can I have your son's first name, please? Uh, Gideon. Gideon. Okay. I will be praying for Gideon. I promise you that breaks my Thank heart, you. you know, uh, warms my heart. Hey, uh, Mike, I'm going to answer the first question and I'll get to the other two on the other side of the break. Okay. Okay. Well, thank, thank you very much. Uh, the first question with Judas, uh, um, I believe that that is a, a truthful statement that uh, Judas was trying to force Jesus in. But remember, Judas was not a radical. 
Judas wasn't a rebel. Uh, Simon the Zealot might have been before he met Jesus, but Judas wasn't a rebel. Judas's motive was one thing and one thing only. He wanted to rule and reign with Christ. He wanted to be somebody who was great in the kingdom of God. And I do believe that Judas thought, especially after the triumphal entry, that he could force Jesus' hand by turning him in. Remember how clever the devil is. I'm going to come back to this question as well to get all of these. You've been listening to the first half of The Word to Stand In for Life. We've got 30 minutes left in the program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Don't have time to call into The Word to Stand On for Life? No problem. If you've got questions, you can email them to Pastor Ron at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the program, 340-9585. I want to get back to Mike's uh, questions um, uh, because they're really, really important. Um, you remember when Judas, it says that uh, uh, Mary poured out, Mary Bethany, she poured out uh, her uh, perfume, her, her dowry, in effect, uh, on Jesus to prepare him for, for his burial. And Judas said, oh, that money could have been given to the poor. Judas was always stirring up trouble. And I always say, you know, the only poor that Judas cared about was poor Judas. So motive is everything. Again, I do believe Judas was clever, um, but he was deceived by Satan. Um, he thought that that by turning Jesus in, Jesus would be forced to do what Judas would do, and that would be to exercise his power. So there was nothing pure about his motive. There was nothing nationalistic about it at all. Judas cared only about Judas. Um Regarding Gideon, um, Mike, um, you know, God does a special place for those who are handicapped or have mental limitations. Uh, remember, we're only accountable. Romans 1 makes it clear that we're only accountable for what we do know. We're never accountable for what we do not know. And uh, your son Gideon is going to be safe. He's in the arms of the Lord. Uh, we've got some people at our church, some some parents who have some autistic kids. Uh, we've got other de- mental deficiencies that 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 grown men now have and and have struggled with their whole lives. Um, God meets them. Remember, His desire is that all men be saved, and so you can be sure that Gideon's heart is in God's hand. You can be sure of that. And I don't ever want you to doubt that. You and your wife, you raise getting up to know the Lord. Um, if you can't communicate, he's communicating fine with Jesus and Jesus with him. And you simply have to rest in the goodness, the fairness of God. So please, please, please don't let the enemy ever beat you up over this one. Um, your son is now a child of God. So I hope that comforts you. Let me say, before I go to Rose and Bastrop, let me say a very quick prayer for Gideon. And I'll be praying for Gideon and for Sarah. Lord, we lift Gideon to you. And I thank you that you love him, that you're a fair God, and that you've already revealed yourself to him in a way that he can understand. And that's all we're asked to do is respond to what we can understand, Lord. So wrap your arms around Gideon. Give mom and dad here just supernatural strength. Give them the peace of God as it relates to their son and um, strengthen them, Lord, so that they won't listen to the lies of an enemy who would whisper the dark things in in the night. I also want to pray for Sarah, um, Mike's friend who is um, struggling with um, COVID-19, 
Uh, we pray, oh God, that she would be safe, that you would get her through. And he didn't say if she was a believer, but I, I'm going to assume she is. Lord, wrap your arms around her. If by chance she's not, use this to draw her to you. And, and Lord, since I'm praying for this, I want to pray for Josh. I want to pray for Greg. And they're just representatives, all those who belong to you, who are struggling in this difficult time physically. Thank you, Mike, for the opportunity. I will be praying for Gideon. Let's go to Bastrop, Texas, and talk with Rose on line three. Rose, thank you for your patience. You're on the air. Oh, I just want to encourage that last caller about his autistic son. And I've got a grandson that's autistic. And, and um, you know, when he was young, we just would, you know, pray and love him. And, I mean, all you got to do is love him. And I believe that's that right. uh, they are saved. They are saved. But, you know, now that young man, he is accepted Christ. He just stood up and said, I want to be baptized, and I want to accept Christ. And he came down, I mean, all by himself. It's not like it was even, you know, an altar call necessarily. He just got up and went down. And uh, now, I mean, he's really a special, great guy. I mean, he's, you know, I mean, he loves God, and he follows God, and, you know, he sings songs. And, I mean, so, you know, when they're young, you just don't know, but if you love them and you trust God, that man, God, will be above and beyond what we think or ask, you know. He's so great, and he's so faithful to these young little lives. Whether they're healthy or they have such needs, God has done amazing things. So I want to just encourage you to keep standing in faith and stand on them promises that, you know, God has a purpose for each and every one, and he's going to make us complete. And I just appreciate Pastor Vaughn and and Paula in in this show. And uh, it just really touches my heart all the time. I have to listen to it almost every day. So thanks, God. <laughs> Rose. Thank you, Rose. God bless you. You know, Rose, you don't call often, but every time you call, you're a source of encouragement to someone who needs to be encouraged. So thank you for that, and thank God for your heart, for him and, and for his people. Bless your heart. Let's go to Jimmy calling on line four from San Antonio. Jimmy, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Oh, hi. I'm kind of angry right now, but how are you doing? I'm doing well, but not that you're angry. Oh, um, okay, I was praying Friday night because I was pretty discouraged about something, you know, about what we're going through and everything. And and, um, and I said, God, just show me a sign, please. Please show me a sign. Well, Saturday morning, this pastor sends me a message from Mexico, and it's in uh, Jeremiah chapter 33 verse 3 you know God telling you that I will reveal things to you am I reading that correctly Uh, I I don't have Jeremiah 33 up on my screen read it Jimmy if you've got it there well I have it on my phone okay let me get it I can get it quicker than you can (laughs) 33.3 yes sir It says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Yeah, that's pretty pretty encouraging. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'm finding out little things by little why we are getting this virus and the fact of it. But I try not to watch the news too much, but I'm learning <laughs> here and there that that's why it's really coming to us. I know that God's allowing it, but, you know, and it's, I hope it brings churches together and everything. It, it brings the people, the, the people of God together, and, and God reveals the truth to them and brings them closer to Him. And I, I pray that people get saved through this. Well, we th- but, uh, yeah, Jimmy, you know, we, we think that's already happening. Uh, we're, we're, we're having people responding like crazy. Uh, you should see the numbers of people that are listening to our our Bible studies online. Um, and you know God's Spirit, His Word never returns void, so God's Spirit's at work. Now for you, and this is important, Jimmy, when God tells you something encouraging, you want a sign, and it's never good to ask for signs. God wants us, as we grow up and as we mature, to walk by faith rather than by sight. And when we're asking for signs, we're sort of saying, okay, Jesus, show me that you're faithful. He wants us to know it and depend on it. 
And so when he answers you, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. That is That ought to be the most encouraging thing in the world. And that in and of itself ought to take your anger away. So instead of focusing on the things or the people that are making you angry, instead, focus on the promise that God has made you and call to him. Get into his word, and he is going to show you the answers to the things that you're struggling with. And he's going to set your feet on a path. Jimmy, you've changed so much in the time that you've been calling this program. Um, Right now, what God is saying to you is, let's mature together. This process of sanctification that that you're going through is you being made more like Jesus every day. And now, instead of you needing to be fed little signs and wonders, uh, right now he's saying, okay, let's make this really personal. Call to me, and I will show you great and unsearchable things. You know, Jimmy, just this week, and it's not this week, it was last week, the end of last week, uh, reading in Revelation. And the Lord spoke to my heart about something. He said, you know, uh, I've set before you as the, the, the church at Philadelphia. And, and this, this verse jumped out and was very personal to me. I will open a door before you that no one can shut. When I open it, no one can shut it. Now, that's been several days and I've been calling out to the Lord and saying, okay, Lord, what's this door? What do you want me to do? Where, we, where are we going to walk through this door? And you know, he hasn't said anything to me, but, but you know what? I know that he set before me an open door. And so now I'm kind of going through every day looking for that open door because I don't want to miss it. And if you allow the enemy to get you sort of bound by anger, um, Get your mind off God and on the things of this world, even this thing that we're living with every day, then the truth is we're, we're going to miss, you're going to miss your great and unsearchable thing and and um, I'm going to miss my open door. So stay focused on the promise that God has made you. And, and there's no time limit. He'll tell you exactly what those great and unsearchable things are the minute that he knows you need to know. But until then, that's just God saying, Jimmy, I got you. Don't worry about these things that you can't change, the things that you can't influence. I've got you. And if you'll focus on him at just the right time, the direction that you're looking for is going to be clear to you. I'm proud of you, Jimmy. Keep walking. Keep walking with the Lord. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585, we had a caller call in to the producer and said, uh, how do we know we were born again? Well, caller, um, the day you were born again, uh, and you should know that day. You know, the person who was raised in church and, well, I've always been a Christian, um, really needs to be careful. I've said several times already today in other contexts that the enemy is so clever. Um, and, and, you know, we think, well, just because I was raised in a Christian home, I'm Christian. We all of us ought to be able to go back to that day. Now, you don't need to know the exact day. Some people know dates. I do. But, but many, probably even more, don't. But there was a time when you met Jesus and it changed your life. That's how you know you're born again. When Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, he, he louds them for how they've changed. They once pursued idols, but now you don't. Well, their life changed at that moment. And so you know you're born again when you've died to yourself and you're living for Jesus. Now, again, that doesn't mean, and I know how the enemy causes us to doubt, but it doesn't mean you're going to do everything perfect. It doesn't mean that you're not going to struggle with the same temptations as before. But you can look back at a time when you know everything changed. For me, it was February of 1991. I was running away from home. Uh, I had no idea what was going to happen to me. Uh, and, and Jesus sort of apprehended me not on the road to Damascus, but on Mountain Avenue in Upland, California. And I got up off that street, fell on my face on a public street. I got up off that street, and I was different. I've been different ever since. Now, I mess up sometimes, especially back then. 
But I knew I was different. And that's how you know that you were born again. You also know, caller, that you're born again by believing in the Word of God. Jesus said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. That's what it means to be born again. What you used to do, you don't do anymore. If you're born again, you have an interest in the Word of God. You want to find out, I'll use Jimmy's verse, the great and unsearchable things that God is going to share with you. You you want to do that. You're excited about where this new path in life is going. And so you want to be involved in church. You want to have the Word of God in your life on a daily basis. So it just changes everything. You were once going one way, you met Jesus, you got born again, and you started going the opposite direction. That's what it means to be born again. Now, caller, please listen carefully. If you're having doubts about that, and if you can't remember a time when your life changed radically, again, I'm not talking about how you feel, I'm not talking about emotions, I'm just talking about the fact of who you are changed. If you're not really interested or invested in the Word of God, if you really don't care that much about church, then you're probably right to question. But here's what I can promise you. You can be born again right now. As you listen to this radio program, you can be born again simply by saying, Jesus, I've been living for me. Now I want to live for you. Forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I ask you to come to my heart and change my life. And because you promised it, By faith, I know I now belong to you. And caller, you're born again. So how do you respond? Well, you get to know this God who saved you. You spend time with him. You really invest in the relationship. And I promise you, you're at the most exciting place you'll ever be. Because when you don't know very much about Jesus, I mean, you know the details... You're calling a Christian radio program. But here's the thing. When you really start to get to know him, your life will be filled with so much joy and so much hope. In spite of your circumstances, my life was a mess when I got born again. And yet Jesus, I knew, was with me every step of the way every day no matter how difficult things were. It would have been great if I could have said, Jesus, just wave a wand and all this trouble goes away. It didn't. But here's what he did. He let me know that he was with me through it all. And together we survived it. Not only did we survive it, we thrived through it. That's how we know we're born again. I love Jesus more than I love anything or anyone. Call her if you're born again. That'll be the case with you. Not an emotional, goosebumpy love, but sort of a resolve. Jesus, I mess things up. You help me fix them. Remember, the hard work is His. All you have to do is walk with Him and be with Him. Thank you, caller, for calling in. It's very important. Remember, you can change everything today. Patrick said... Pastor Ron, I read an article online that said this pandemic was God's judgment for abortion. Do you agree? Um, Patrick, no. Um, you know, we just had Mike call earlier and, and prayed for a, a, a lady named Sarah, who we presume is a believer. Um, I mentioned a couple people in our church who are struggling with symptoms. We've got um, our doctors and nurses at Malta Medical in harm's way every day, and we're praying for them to be protected. When God judges the world, he's going to judge those who are guilty. And as long as there are Christians who are dying from this, Christians who are suffering from this, this isn't God's judgment for abortion. Now, that's low-hanging fruit, Patrick. Those kind of arguments really don't take much thought. It's just somebody who's got a soapbox and and he's going to stand on it. Make no mistake, abortion is an evil in this world. 65 million children have been murdered since 1973 in this country that had been so blessed by God. This is how we thank him. 
And there will be judgment for abortion, but that'll come in the Great Tribulation. So don't get caught into these traps and be careful, be discerning about who you're listening to, who you're reading online. If you don't have really good discernment, then you need to stay away from that. Open your Bible until you do have good discernment. But Patrick, this is not God's judgment for abortion. That's coming, it's coming in the future. Uh, This is a virus that has been unleashed on the world. And I think sometimes this, well, this has got to be God's judgment kind of thinking is is because we expect that wrongly. We expect that, well, if we're Christians, nothing bad should happen. And that's simply not ever even hinted at in our Bibles. So be careful about spreading these kind of things and be really, really careful about what you're reading. I've had several questions about, is this God's judgment for homosexuality? Is uh, this God's judgment, in this case, for abortion? Uh, The answer, no, when God is judging the world, the people that are being judged are going to hide in caves and they're going to shake their fist at God as hundred-pound hailstones fall from the sky. If we were being judged by God, we would know it. Now, are there consequences for turning away from God? Yes, and we're living through them. And we who are on this earth, who are believers, we're going to suffer some of the same kind of trials and persecution. But we know that we're sharing in the fellowship of His sufferings. So no talk of judgment during this. That makes us look just a little bit silly, I think. So thank you for the question. Myra says, how do you explain the differing accounts of the resurrection in the Gospels? Myra, there are no differing accounts of the resurrection in the Gospels. One Gospel gives information that the other Gospel doesn't. I'll give you an example. The angels in the tomb. You know, we don't have a gospel writer that says there was only one angel. I think the others are crazy. One angel, just one angel. No, he didn't say that. He just focuses on the angel who's speaking. Another gospel writer from a different perspective, and by the way, this validates the gospel account. Another writer notes that there were two men. And those men, of course, being angels. Uh, He just is taking a bigger picture. He's just offering different details. But there's no contradiction. There's no differing accounts whatsoever. It's very important that we study our Bibles and we're able to answer these basic questions. I get this all the time. Well, well, was there one angel or was there two? My answer is, yeah. One gospel writer talks about the angel who spoke. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Another writer focuses on both angels, but then reports what the one who spoke said. And it would only be a contradiction or a differing account, as you put it, if one gospel writer said, nope, there was only one angel. He never says that. And and that's true, by the way, of different Bible difficulties. Myra, let me uh, recommend a book for you. It's by my favorite author of all time, F.F. F. Bruce. Frank, Frank, um, uh, it's called um, The Hard Sayings of Jesus. Uh, Bible Difficulties is the subtitle. And so um, um, it, it sort of gives you the ability to, to understand and then explain those kinds of things. Good question. we got time for one more question, I think. Leslie says, Pastor Ron, can we be forgiven of our sins if we haven't made restoration to those who we sinned against? Yeah, Leslie, we can. Now, I think whenever possible, we need to make restoration. By that, I say we need to make things right. Your word is restoration. But we need to make things right. I mean, if we've hurt people and we have the opportunity to do so, then what we've got to do is we've got to be willing to, to, to fess up and say, you know what? What I did to you was terrible. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Um, but but in many cases, we don't have the opportunity to make it right with people. And that's why we confess our sins to God. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness and purifies us. So uh, we are forgiven as soon as we're believers. 
then we need to be willing to forgive others because we ourselves have been forgiven by God of more. And we also need to understand that we have a social responsibility to try to make things right. Now, I mess up with a lot of people. And in some cases, Leslie, the Lord has given me the opportunity uh, face-to-face with people to, to really deal with those issues. Um, and I've been able to, and I've been forgiven by most. Some didn't want to hear from me. But that's okay. That's okay. Um, all we have to do is be willing to make things right to the best of our ability. So do the best you can. Be comfortable with doing the best you can. And understand that the real transaction occurred between you and God when he threw your sins in the deepest, darkest ocean and declared that your sins are as far from you as east is from west. That's pretty far, Leslie. You start going east and you start going west, you're never going to change directions. I'm glad God didn't say north and south because once you get to the pole, then you're going to be going south. He said, no, as east is from west. So enjoy the fact that your sins are forgiven. And whenever possible, make it right with the people that you've sinned against. Good question. Good heart, Leslie. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Appreciate the calls. Uh, Mike, I want you to know I'll be praying for Gideon. Um, Your friend Sarah, may the Lord bless you and keep you. You've been listening to the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.